Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, good day to you. Good morning, good evening. Oh, whenever you tune into Line Drive Radio, welcome aboard. It's a great day for baseball. It's beautiful here in New York with yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert. Holding down the board here at the Ghost Sports Media Company here on Long Island, New York. And it's time to bring in my my LDR teammate from the great city of Chicago, Mr. Tab Bamford. Tab, what's going on, brother? How are you? Oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I think my highlight for the week was a low light from a really? Chicago perspective. Uh, the White Sox getting obliterated during the late morning start in Boston. Got to see your mean Mercedes. Uh, and you love saying his name. I I love me some your mean Mercedes. Uh, if I ever win the lottery, I might buy me a your mean Mercedes, but, uh, you got to put the bat down as the DH and enter the fold as a relief pitcher. Uh, Fernando Rodney, the cap off to the side and was through spitting gas. He got up to 88 on the gun. Uh, and then rip. they went to middle infielder, Danny Mendick for the eighth inning in a blowout loss. And he appeared to be throwing like knuckleballs in the mid forties, but, uh, but it no, your, your a- mean set in the low to mid eighties, uh, with, I guess you could call it a fastball. Uh, and then it looked like he tried to bury a couple change-ups. We'll put air quotes around change-ups. A couple 55-footers in there for the kids. But, it, look, it, it, the fun fact from that was the last time the Sox had a DH enter the game uh, as a relief pitcher in a blowout loss. This is from Chris Comka, C. Comka on Twitter. If you follow him, he's amazing. He's one of those guys in Chicago that has all the fun stuff. But uh, last time a DH entered a game as a relief pitcher was Adam LaRoche in 20, I think it was 2016. And the opposing pitcher that day was Nathan Evaldi, who was the starting pitcher for Boston on Monday when your mean Mercedes did it. So insane stuff, but that's why we love baseball. But yeah, your mean Mercedes hitting 88 on the gun was uh, definitely something that I'm sure a team like the Cubs would be interested in for a bullpen arm if it hit the trade deadline. (laughs) I mean, that's a great studio. He's got nothing on uh, Willens uh, in Minnesota there. <laughs> it was 46 no. mile hour pitches. That was fantastic. Oh. Estadio was just. Estadio, yeah. Oh, man. Straight up Little, straight up little League cheese right fantastic. there. Fantastic. The batters were probably swinging twice, getting a so- getting the happy Gilmore Bush League <laughs> softball walk up on those things. I mean, you just want to, you know, you record that, you, you just lean back in the recliner and just sit back and watch that. I mean, it was just uh, 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 a Tell blast. 10-year-old kid that he throws a better fastball right? than a major league pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, and you need that, man, and all the seriousness of, of, of the game. And I know we're going to get into the Yankees here and the fans and the uproar and all that other stuff. But, 
Um, that's some fun stuff. Hey, look, man, it was um, a, a great, a wild week. I mean, um, you had to love the Dodgers-Padres series over the weekend, you know. Uh, another no-hitter here, uh, Roden, we're going to get into as well. Um, the A's, 10 in a row here, the way they're playing. Yeah. Um, Their annual Burns and- ridiculous streak. <laughs> What's that? The A's annual ridiculous <laughs> ridiculous win streak is hit early this year. It's crazy. Um, the Brewers, Corbin uh, some, Burns. Somehow Oakland still has a negative run differential. Go figure. Well, it's part for the cost tab, you know. Can't all be. Yeah. Can't all be perfect, especially in Oakland. Um, yeah. That's... Burns doing a hell of a job there in Milwaukee, leading the MLB in uh, ERA. 0.37. 40Ks already, man. That's just yeah. uh, out of this world. Um you know, and, and Trout, I think the ball he hit the other night uh, against the Rangers is still in the air. It's on its way to the space station. Uh, and I yeah, know you, actually, you the helicopter on Mars was in danger of getting <laughs> yeah. knocked down by Trout's home run ball. So, um, yeah, I mean, just lots of fun stuff in and around some of the other things that we're going to talk about here uh, this afternoon. Um, and, and the Dodgers and the Padres are going to go back out for four games starting this weekend, too. So, I mean, did, did you catch any of the games? I was up late here, three o'clock in the morning, watching that game. Eleven uh, six win. The Dodgers come back. The extra innings, and and for me, first time tab. Maybe we can talk on this too. Watching the um, you know, the extra innings with the guy on second base. You know, it was my first game watching that and seeing yeah. how that was working. In the beginning, it really wasn't working in that game, and then obviously, uh, the Dodgers exploded. So let's start there. Just in a couple of, a couple of those news items that I just brought up, and, and, yeah, yeah. and the Dodgers and Padres. Look, I, a lot of the national talking heads are burying that as a non-rivalry because the Padres haven't done anything yet. And, I mean, look, I understand that you got to beat us for us to care mentality. You know, in Chicago, you know, the, the rivalry between the Blackhawks and Red Wings for a lot of years was an afterthought when the Dead Wings were bad and then when the Blackhawks were bad. It was really one-sided. You're like, oh, it's not a rivalry. But, look... Whenever fans are separated by a few short miles and when you go to a Padres game, I've been to a Padres game, that ballpark, if you haven't been there, put it on your list. It is gorgeous. The neighborhood around it's awesome. Um, but you go to Dodgers fans go down there for games. It's like Cubs fans going to Milwaukee. It's 60% road fans for some of those games. But the Padres are young and exciting. They were last year. And I think – you know, pending Tatis's health, he with him and Machado and Hosmer and some of the other young guys that they've got in that team, they were definitely an up-and-comer in that division. And they're close enough that the Dodgers had to be keeping an eye on it. So I appreciate the idea that they haven't beat us, so we're not a, a rivalry. But let's be real here for a second. When you go out and make the deals that San Diego did to bring in Musgrove and Darvish and Snell, Mm -hmm. you are clearly poking the bear a little bit. And you saw in that series emotion from guys who have been through the ringer before. I mean, look, when Mookie Betts makes one of the better catches you'll ever see and gets to his knees and he's thumping the Dodger name on his chest. Mm Mm-hmm. It's April. Exactly. But those players are understanding the significance of those games. And, you know, in Major League Baseball, you get 18 shots at a division opponent, and it feels like, well, that's a lot. 
Well, when you break it down in a three, four game series, you've only got five or six cracks at them during a regular season. And when you get those shots, you gotta, you gotta do work. And the Dodgers certainly held their own as expected in that series. And it sounds like Dave Roberts is manipulating his rotation already for the series this weekend. So he can line up basically Cy Young award winner after Cy Young award winner and Walker Bueller, who will get one at some point. Um, but when you see the reaction of the players and the emotion from guys like Mookie Betts in that situation, the players know it's a rivalry. The Dodgers know that the Padres aren't going anywhere this year and that they got to do work if they want to hang on to the whatever 47th consecutive year that they win that division. So it's a two-horse race. The Dodgers are clearly aware that who the other team is in that race. And they're whatever, a half hour by helicopter, five hours by traffic south uh, of Dodger Stadium. So let's not sugarcoat it like it's not a rivalry. It is. The players know it. The fans know it. And let's enjoy passionate baseball two weeks into the regular season. That felt like that felt like August, September pennant race baseball two weeks into the year. And I'm totally here for it. Absolutely. That's that's what I loved about it more than anything. I mean, was just seeing the. uh... Uh, you know, the reaction from the guys. And then that's the other thing, too, is, I mean, you, you know, rivalry, how it builds, how it grows this early in the season. The big thing is Tab, and, you know, we've talked about it here on the, on the first couple of shows. I mean, it's the personalities on the team uh, that goes along with the talent. You know, seeing, uh, you know, Tatis come back in after his injury and just crushing one. You got, you pretty much got, especially in that 11, that 11-6 win there by the Dodgers too. you know, the game watch, you got everything. You got mm-hmm. just good pitching, great hitting, and um, just energy. Even the fans. I mean, that was the, the, the when they panned out to the fans. I don't know if you saw it. There was one. They gave out yeah. those yellow bats, man. Those air bats. That was the most annoying yeah. thing in the world. But just seeing the fans getting into it too, Padres fans, and like I said, you talking. It was a great mix of Dodgers fans there too. And that's that's what I, that's what I love about it, you know. And that's what you love to see across the whole board. Maybe it's not there yet in certain series or certain rivalries yet, but you know, for one that has all the stars, um, you know, um, the league champs, everything involved, and maybe hopefully San Diego, the new young kids on the on the block here, and, and maybe give them a run if the Dodgers ever lose, you know, four or five games in a row this season at all. Yeah, and the, the crazy thing is it's hard to imagine the Dodgers going on a five, six-game losing streak at all because of the pitching that they've got. I mean, Urias was sick last night. I think he had 11 strikeouts and seven innings, and he's a guy that has been flexed between the bullpen and the starting rotation throughout his young career. feels like he's been around for a decade, and he's only 24 years old. But that kid's stuff is legit and... You know, that's, you know, again, you're looking at an embarrassment of riches when it comes to pitching in L.A. that other teams do not have. And that's, I think, going to be the biggest differentiator between the Dodgers and the rest of the National League is when you look at the other teams that are trying to make a run. You know, Milwaukee right now, you you brought up Burns leading uh, the ERA race. The Brewers have the lowest ERA in baseball right now. Their pitching has been phenomenal and you know Williams out of the bullpen who was rookie of the year last year hasn't gotten off to a good start at all but that that's going to be the the great differentiator over the hall of this year is which teams have the pitching depth and depth is the, the most important part here 
if you got one or two pitchers, and we'll talk about that when we get in, dig into our uh, what might become a weekly WTF segment. Uh, we've got a couple teams in the crosshairs this week, but the biggest issue that the teams that are struggling right now have is the lack of pitching depth. And when you go through this season coming off of COVID and having a shorter season last year, every single team is going to be mindful of the innings that they're putting their starters through. And you're going to see workhorses like the White Sox have got Lance Lynn on the 10-day right now. He's only going to miss one start. You're going to see a lot of veteran starters have some type of a something, you know, whether it be a hammy or a shoulder or whatever. They're just going to get a quick 10-day shot on the injured list this year just to burn a start, bring up an extra body, just to give those guys some rest. Every single team is going to do that. But when you get down to August, September, and you need these guys, how much gas are they going to have left in the tank? And that's where depth is so critical. And no team's got it like the Dodgers do. I mean, they've got David Price, a Cy Young Award winner, sitting in their bullpen right now. So that I think that's the biggest problem that the Padres and everyone else in baseball is going to have when you look at matching up with the Dodgers over the course of a season, much less a, a seven-game series, is how do your arms line up? And I think if the Padres stay healthy, obviously with Darvish and Snell and Musgrove, they've got three guys that, that can give a team fits just as well if they can get them in a five game. But in a seven game, and if you've got guys like May and Gonsolin and Price coming out of the bullpen, God help us. So, But again, going back to kind of the where we were at with that when we started, that seeing passion from players and having people in the seats to experience that passion and add to the environment and feel that through the players. And players almost to a man have said they feel it from the fans, whether it's 5,000, 10,000, or a packed house in Texas, they feel it and they missed it. So it's great to see emotion and rivalries starting to get the dust kicked off early in the season because it makes for great theater the entire long haul of the season for Major League Baseball. Yeah, no, it, it's super, and I think, you know, even for our country here in the United States and seeing baseball in the national pastime, and, you know, last week on our show we were uh, celebrating Jackie Robinson Day and, and obviously seeing all the teams and all the players were in number 42, and uh, also we want to acknowledge Bob Kendrick, and he was uh, sharing and promoting our show here uh, last week as well, too. So it, it's great to kind of see that um, if you're a baseball fan and, and, and having the players, I mean, the fans involved with the game, too, is, is huge. Uh, to go along with these storylines uh, uh, in New York, obviously the Bronx last week, fans were throwing baseballs and garbage and everything else, and maybe rightfully so. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, what we're going to do this week is uh, we're going to do the good and the what the what the F, if you know what I'm saying. We're, we're going to kind of keep this. Uh, we got some kids listening to the show here, so we're going to kind of keep it uh, neat and clean here a little bit. So Quasi-PC. quasi <laughs> yes. Very good there. <laughs> so um, let's start with the good. And let's go to, uh, you know, your Chicago White Sox there. And, and Carlos wrote on here and his no-hitter. And um, that was on the 14th there against the Indians. Uh, why don't you take it away here, Tab, and, and talk about him and, and you know, just uh, the Sox and, and, the, and the little story behind him going into that game. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Rodon is a guy who was the third overall pick in the 2014 draft. And, I mean, he was – coming out of college on that level with a guy like a, like a Trevor Bauer, a Garrett Cole, most people thought he'd be the number one overall pick in that draft. And 
he fell, if you will, to the White Sox with the third overall pick. And over the course of his major league career and his professional career, he's dealt with all sorts of injuries. And he was there through the crap. You know, he led a rotation that had nothing worth watching behind him. And he was just he was just a he was a good soldier who went about his business and competed his tail off and didn't really get a lot for it because the team was either bad or in a rebuild or however you want to sugarcoat the crap that they were going through on the south side of Chicago. And in twenty nineteen he had Tommy John surgery, which was a real tough blow for a guy who was kind of starting to feel like he was figuring it out and was Finally, hopefully, starting to see the health, and then he ends up with Tommy John last year. Uh, you know, a tough year for him. Uh, after the season, he was he was non-tendered by the White Sox. They brought him back on a one-year deal for three only three million bucks, which sounds great for us, but for a guy who's, you know, theoretically in his prime, a three million dollar deal for one year with no guarantee of a rotation spot's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Uh, but he wanted to be in Chicago. They gave him the deal. He came back, earned a spot in the rotation, and here he is, you know, a couple weeks into the season, you know, among the American League leaders in strikeouts and ERA, just absolutely chucking the crap out of the ball. He was two outs away from a perfect game. He threw a slider that came in and hit uh, Indians catcher Roberto Perez on the foot. And what I loved about that moment was he kind of looked at Perez and smiled a little bit and was like, couldn't get out of the way. He couldn't get the foot out of there, um, but he ended up finishing off a no-hitter, and it was just, it was really cool. Uh, he was named the AL Player of the Week for last week, obviously, if you're a no-hitter, usually you're going to end up with that award. Second White Sox player this year to get the award after the aforementioned Yermin Mercedes. Yes. Um, but it, it's just, it's one of those really good guys getting his moment you know, getting his roses, if you will. And, uh, you know, he gets on the mic with the local broadcast here in Chicago uh, and uh, Jason Benetti, who does an incredible job uh, doing a lot of national stuff, basketball and uh, even a little college football for ESPN too. But uh, he and Steve Stone got him on the mic after the game and uh, Benetti just says, how how, how you feel? And he, and he just says, you know, what the hell just happened? You know, it, it's it's one of those guys that feels like it's there, and he he's always had the ability. And I think now that they've got, you know, Lance Lynn and Dallas Keuchel and Lucas Giolito and all these young guys, t- he's an afterthought. But the skill is there, the talent is there, and you were able to finally see a guy who's been through hell and back, uh, who's had to listen to the naysayers, you know blow smoke at the White Sox. You know, they passed on guys like Aaron Nola and Trey Turner and Michael Conforto and Matt Chapman. And Sox fans had to sit there and watch Kyle Schwarber win a World Series ring with the Cubs, who was the fourth pick right behind Rodon in 2014. Uh, and it, he's, he's heard the, the crap. He's, he's been through hell. And so to see him throw a no-hitter, and get that moment, I think, was one of those great things about baseball. You, you finally get to see a guy who's put in the work and and put up with the bad times to come back as an afterthought on a team that's loaded for bear with high expectations. And he has you know one of the really great moments early in the season. So 
um, you know, full tip of the cap to Carlos Rodon for having a real special moment. And it was fun to watch. I mean, that guy was touching the high 90s in the ninth inning. It was, you know, low 40s at game time in Cleveland. And, or, and, and he's just rearing back, no undershirt, just bare sleeves, no undershirt at all. I mean, he's a guy that always has the top two buttons undone and the chest hanging out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a guy who, you know, in front of home fans, which I think was a big deal for him too, um, was able to have a real special moment. So nothing but love for Carlos Rodon because he's a guy that was through it. And you see guys like that all over baseball who kind of become like the, the stud prospect who comes up four years too early. You know, with Cubs fans, we, we think about guys like Starlin Castro, who was a real good hitter for the Cubs for a number of years, and then he just gets basically outplaced by, you know, Javier Baez and Addison Russell when they got to the World Series. And he's the guy that's, you know, traded before the 16th season. And now he bounces around, you know, same thing with the Yankees. He gets traded by the Yankees, and they get good, good back to the top of the heap. So, um you see guys who come up a little bit too early and don't always get to be part of that team that has potentially something special. And for Rodon to do that was really, really cool. And, and on that note there, Tab, number one, obviously, you know, it's it's a crapshoot when you're watching your team during the season, regular TV or whatever, to actually, you know, buckle in and then, you know, get to see a game all the way through to, to, to see a no-hitter. Uh, my other question is, not my one question is, have you ever been in the ballpark for a no-hitter? Uh, I've been so two fun stories. I've been close. Uh, I was in the press box a couple years ago uh, when Washington almost no hit the Cardinals in St. Louis. Uh, Annabelle Sanchez was out of his mind that night, and the St. Louis fans couldn't deal with it. (laughs) That's the closest I. I think he. I think he got into the eighth with a no hitter that night. That's as close as I've been in the ballpark. However, uh, I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but Mark Burley's first no-hitter, buddy of mine and I had season tickets for the White Sox, and we're texting back and forth. We were going to go to the game, and he'd had a long weekend. I'd had a long week, and he was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just spent. I'm exhausted. Let, I'm not going to go tonight. And I was like, all right. So I thought about putting a feeler out for a couple other people. I was like, hey, you know what? The Bulls have a big game tonight. If they win, they're like the two seed in the East. If they lose, they're the six. So I got an important Bulls game. I'll just watch them both on TV and see what pans out. So I'm sitting in my man cave uh, with two tickets to Mark Burley's no-hitter on the table next to me. Uh, The Bulls ended up losing. but They got blown out by the Sixers that night. (laughs) Just to add salt to the wound, the Bulls get absolutely thrashed. And I'm sitting there with two unused game tickets to Mark Burley's first no hitter, uh, which I st- I kept those tickets. Yeah, uh, man, for full full agony. But I've had t- I can't say I've had tickets to a no hitter. And at That's some point, good. I'll probably tell my grandkids in a less sober moment that I was at the game. I got the tickets to prove it. <laughs> Grandpa, tell but, us about uh, the atmosphere that day. But I, 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 I buddy? <laughs> uh, my buddy bailed, and uh, I ended up staying home and watching him throw a no hitter on TV. Uh, which of course Burley threw a perfect game later in his career, also. So, um, but yeah, the closest I've been to a no hitter was uh, was actually a playoff game in St. Louis that didn't have a team that I had a horse in the race for uh, to cover. But it, it's anytime you get to that sixth, seventh inning part, mm-hmm. 
you start to feel some buzz. And, uh, yeah. and you know, the only thing that was unfortunate is that they didn't have a full house for him uh, at Guaranteed Rate Field. But being able to do it, again, just cool as hell. Have you ever been in the park for a no-hitter? No, I haven't. You know, I haven't, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, the other thing on, I wanted to say on this, too, with the no-hitter, I mean, and we've touched on here a little bit, too. And, you know, back in the old days, obviously when I grow up and you a little later on, you're a little younger than me. But, and we talk about sometimes the old greats who used to pitch full games, nine innings, whether they got a no-hitter or whatever. Guys get pulled a lot quicker these days. So mm-hmm. a no-hitter in these times, and I guess I'll, I'll ask you your opinion on that, is, is more of a rarity than it was even 10 years ago, definitely 20 years ago, because the starters usually used to, it was, it was just a given. These guys would never come out of the game. They would, they would pitch eight, nine, you know, games. I mean, the whole thing about a closer or like a guy like Mariano Rivera or, you know, Chapman, yeah. or, uh, you can go on and on about, obviously in the last 10, 15 years about, you know, the, the, the emergence and the star power of a, of a closer or even a, you know, a guy that comes in in the seventh. It's almost like it's, it, it, you're, you're always waiting now because they're going by pitch count really these days. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the beauty of actually getting, you know, talking about seeing a no-hitter, whether you're in the stadium, but actually, you know, even, if, even not, you're going, wow, somebody threw a no-hitter last night in baseball? How do you get past right. the fifth inning? Exactly. Well, and that's the other thing, too. We've had, I think, two or three times already this year. I can think of one where the Twins were playing the Brewers, and I think it was Burns and Barrios had dueling no-hitters through five innings. And both teams went to the bullpen with no hits on the board. But, you know, again, I think this specific year, going back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, I think teams are so rightfully focused on the long game and keeping their guys healthy that if you've got a no hitter, they're less worried about giving up the first hit than having you there in July and August and September and, you know, it takes an old school manager, which there aren't many of left, to let a guy, you know, ride it out. And Tony LaRusso is one of those old school guys. And he's let, you know, Lance Lynn earlier this year threw a complete game shutout on opening day. And we talked about that. Like, complete games barely exist anymore. Forget no hitters. Yeah. You know, you give up four or five hits in eight innings, you're throwing a gem. Your guy's usually still going to the bullpen. And Rodon's 110th pitch was 99 miles an hour. And so, you know, I think part of it, obviously there's the efficiency and the data telling you that once you get through the lineup a certain number of times or once you you throw a certain number of pitches, you know, the accuracy starts to fall out. But in the case of Rodon, you know, A, he was perfect going to the ninth. And B, uh, he was, you know, pr- relatively low pitch count. He didn't have any 20, you know, lots of times in no hitters, there'll be a couple guys that work a long count on you and the pitch count starts to elevate a little bit. But if you're averaging 12 or 13 pitches an inning, it, it, you're not putting a lot of stress on it. But you still see guys going to the bullpen. Uh, and so it, it was refreshing to see, to your point, a guy finish off a special performance. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Sox fans are going to have to keep an eye on is, you know, with the old school mentality of LaRusso, letting his horses tell him how much gas they've got left in the tank is being aware that competitors are going to want to compete. 
and you got a no hitter, it's, you know, you're going to, there's going to be some blowback from a guy that's out there busting his tail. Uh, you know, you think back to Pedro telling Grady Little to get the hell out of here when he came out to yeah. pull him and we watched that backfire. So there, there's got to be some emotional awareness from a manager to a, what the numbers are telling him, B, a competitor that wants to keep going and see what's best for all involved. And, you know, I think, you know, with the White Sox and where they were at early in the year, um, you know, it, it was a spot where LaRusso, I think, felt confident because of the relatively low pitch count after eight innings that they could put him back out there. Uh, and obviously it paid, it paid off. And a guy like Lance Lynn, who's got no problem giving you 200, 220 innings a season, same thing. But at the same time, now Lynn's going to skip a start in April. Um, you know, watching how these guys are, are, are handled throughout the year is going to be fascinating. But yeah, I, the whole complete game finisher thing is almost a, a dead reality at this point. So when you can just see a complete game, it's remarkable. When you, when you get to see a no-hitter, it's phenomenal, and the fact that we've had two already, and we're, you know, three weeks into the season is is pretty remarkable. But I think finishing the no hitter is, is what's rare. The fact that teams are going five six innings without a hit, unfortunately, isn't as rare because of what we've talked about on previous shows with the with guys swinging for the fences too mm-hmm. often. And I think that's where we're going to go with what the you know what, um, you know, so many guys are are playing for the long ball and trying to launch that strikeouts are so high right now that if you go into an inning saying, I'm going to get everybody out in four pitches, the batters are going to oblige you. Uh, And that's a problem for baseball. Uh, The fact that you could realistically go into an inning and and get in and out in 10 pitches uh, because guys aren't working counts and, and falling off stuff uh, is a problem that I think baseball is going to have to figure out a way to deal with. And we touched a little bit on that with the idea of moving the, the pitching rubber back a foot. Yeah, they, they better start hitting the ball. The Manfred's going to just start, start changing everything, man. Yeah. I mean, you know? look, yeah. It, <laughs> the guy's going to be but, able to self-hit throw the ball in front of you and try yeah. to get a single. I mean, unless, unless you unless you got Estadio throwing you a 40-mile-an-hour hook. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's – Every uh, team must have one Estadio on their team. That'll be the new rule. And Look, if you watch, every three that, days. that dude's personality is massive. <laughs> I love watching that dude play. He's got the curly hair, and his helmet tends to get lost every once Who in a while. Who does he remind you of? Dodgers. Pitcher. Uh, are, are you thinking Valenzuela? Yeah. Yeah, but but he's like five inches shorter than Fernando. No, but still, he's like a, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, you the know, hair, kinda, the look, hat, the look. We'll, 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 we'll be honest here. He's a little pudgy, uh, <laughs> and like he, he just he flies. He makes great contact. But more teams need guys like Nick Madrigal on the White Sox. Who I think they ran the stat during yesterday's game. Uh, he's seen something like eighty-five pitches this year and has two swing and misses. Like, just, we need more contact because the game, when you have that, and we've talked about this before, but when you've got guys on base and you've got guys running the bases, the situations that come up, those nuances are what makes makes baseball sexy. And I'm totally here for it. But watching a guy like Rodon, uh, you know, have everything working and have the, the 
trust of his manager to go out there and finish a no hitter. And the same with Musgrove, you know, in San Diego, you know, having the confidence from his manager to go finish it off is pretty special. So uh, I don't know if we'll only see two this year, but the fact that we've seen two already is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and you bring up great points as far as, you know, the, the time of the year, early in the season. Uh, real quick here, um, there's been 302 no-hitters uh, throughout Major League history and 14 combined no-hitters. It was two last year, uh, Astros and the Mariners, um, Angels and the Mariners as well, and then uh, in 2018 there was one, and you go back, but that's another thing too. Uh, well, and there have been a few no-hitters where the pitcher actually lost the game. That's true. Melito Perez of your Yankees, I think it was 1989, uh, threw a nine-inning no-hitter and took the loss because of walks and errors. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, not when you think about the, the total number of games played in the history of baseball, only 300 no-hitters. Uh, Rodon's was the 20th in the history of the White Sox. Uh, but anytime you get a chance to see That's history, it's pretty special. 20 yeah. is a big chunk in terms of the history of the game in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he, he was close to the first perfect game uh, in, I think, almost a decade for the White Sox. So um, pretty special stuff, and you love to see it. I, I, I'm a big pitching guy, and I'm a big Maddox guy. So anytime you can see a pitcher that's got it working uh, and is just confidently using his entire repertoire and working the ball all over the zone and the batters just have nothing – it, it's it's a lot of fun to watch, and I'm I'm one of those weirdos that would have just as much fun watching a one nothing gem from both sides. You know, we've talked about the Jack Morris John Smoltz game in the World Series. I think those are some of the best games out there. I'd rather I I would rather watch that Morris Smoltz World Series game than a seventeen thirteen game all day. Yep, I am with you. I am with you on that. So last thing on the on the White Sox here, uh, your young skipper. Uh, Mr. LaRusse, 18 games here. Um, you know, what do you take so far from uh, this, you know, young whippersnapper coaching this team, <laughs> managing uh, this team? Well, he's almost lapping the field in ARP at this point. But, <laughs> look, I mean, the, the White Sox have had some ups and downs right now. You know, as we record this, they're 500, 9 and 9. They're a game behind the Royals, who have been terrific. Uh, they've actually got the second best run difference in the American League at plus 14. And, you know, Tim Anderson missed a couple weeks with a hamstring. He just came back uh, on Jackie Robinson Day. So, uh, you know, if Anderson can start hitting, Luis Robert has been just absolutely murdering the ball uh, lately. And to see that is got to be encouraging for the White Sox because some of the other guys, Jose Abreu is hitting massive home runs, but the average isn't quite there yet. Uh, You know, they've, been trying to figure out what the hell to do in left field. Um, you know, Andrew Adam Eaton's been nice, but Andrew Vaughn, you know, they still haven't totally figured out how and where they're going to use him. But uh, but they're hanging in, and uh, you know, with the offense that they have, which I think is unquestioned, if the pitching can stay healthy, they'll be there all year. But you know, the fact that Larusa is showing an ability to go to the bullpen when he needs to, but also let a guy like Lynn or Rodon, you know pitch themselves to success is really encouraging. And again, you know, they're, they're second in run scored in the American league behind Boston, who are just playing out of their freaking minds right now at 12 and six with a hundred runs scored already. But, uh, 
but the Sox will be there, I think, all year. And Larusa has already shown uh, some things that I like, like letting guys finish games. But I think lineup construction will be an ongoing thing to watch in Chicago as you try and figure out what to do with some of these young guys that are there for experience and earn their way in in spring training. So give them the at-bats. Absolutely. So it's uh, nice to see it working there in Chicago. That division, the Central Division. I mean, outside of Boston, twelve and six there, and you got uh, Oakland and Seattle with uh, eleven wins there on the other side of town. On the other side, the Dodgers fourteen and four, and pretty much, you know, no, nobody's really running away with it. But you know, you talk about Boston, a hundred runs scored, and let's get into our um, WTF section here that we're going to get into, and we'll, we'll, we'll leave Chicago for a little bit. We're going to end up back in Chicago. Um, but let's talk about my New York Yankees. Um, they're back on track, Tab. It's all good, man. They they won yesterday. It's all good. So we're you know, it's it's uh, you know Boone's got it. Well, they take care of. He tinkered the lineup we, a little bit. If we win, if we win today, it's two in a row. If we win tomorrow, it's a streak. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, this, the Yankees. You know, when we talked in our our season previews, and the Yankees still, you know, if you're one of those that tends to wager on baseball. The Yankees are still the money favorite in the American League. Six and ten, five games back. There's no issues. Which I, I well. It's April. The, like, the fact that Vegas still loves the Yankees to me is hilarious. <laughs> um, I mean, look, they are, I think a lot of people thought, because you had some questions in the rotation after Garrett Cole, and the bullpen, I think, some injuries that they had to deal with, with, guys like Britain, but in the suspension to start the year for Chapman, I think some people were like, you know, the, the pitching might be what, you know, gives an opening to a Toronto or Tampa. Um, but the, it's been the offense for the Yankees. That's just been atrocious. I mean, 16 games played and they've got 58 runs scored. I mean, that's, it's cold. Not even, New York. It's, it's not cold. even four runs a game. And I think people thought chilly. they'd do that in their sleep. It's just a little chilly and, up here. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's 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 just bad. I mean, at least you can't DJ get a good LeMahieu, grip on the bats. At least DJ LeMahieu showed up to play. I mean, he's he's betting three hundred, but you start rolling down that lineup, and you know, Giancarlo Stanton's got twenty strikeouts and fifty three at bats already. You know, he's he's you know, probably hitting poor Aaron Boone's blood pressure at one seventy right now. Uh, you know, Glaber Torres at one eighty two. Aaron Hicks your theoretical cleanup hitter at 160. I mean, you look at Aaron Judge hitting 259, and it just looks like he's setting the world on fire. But when you look at you know wins above replacement, you don't have a single guy in that starting lineup that's got a positive war. It's like you just it, it's hard to fathom that that much talent can be this cold and this bad. But right now, the only guy that showed up to play so far for the Yankees offensively is DJ LeMahieu. And I think they realized the significance of LeMahieu when they brought him back in the offseason. And if they hadn't, you know, God help us for where they'd be at right now. But it's just, you know, the strikeouts, they've got 145 strikeouts in 16 games. But should anybody be surprised? You know, we joked when we, we did our first episode here and, you know, we went through our predictions and everything else. And even, you know, myself watching this team over the last couple of years and especially, look, I think the Yankees are going to be there at the end of the end of the year. I, I joke with out-of-town fans. I said, look, you know, your team can do, 
I don't care what they do in April. It's, it's, it all comes down at the end of the year. I think Boone and this, these guys will they'll write the ship. They'll figure it out, and you you, you want to be there in October. Um, but you know this is this is this is what the Yankees have to figure out. This is what we talked about in terms of small ball and and base hits and and everything else. Can the Yankees do that? They're going to have to find a way, or again, we're just going to see a repeat of this. If even if they do get back into the playoffs, where they're going to get smoked by a couple of healthy relievers because they can hit the ball uh, just out of the infield. It's got to be over the wall uh, at every at-bat. And then, you know, depending on, you know, how they do, uh, you know, defensively in terms of pitching and everything else. But, you know, this is the lineup. I mean, this is it. I mean, Boone can shift this in and out. But, you know, I I, I feel confident that these guys will, will, will find a way. They'll get warmed up here a little bit and they'll – and the Yankees will be there. It it is April. I get the fans being upset last week. It's it's not cool to be throwing you know stuff on the field and everything else. And you know Yankees. Well, but fans... you know, the, the, thankfully, I think you know if there's one positive to the fans throwing stuff on the field, uh, they did as good a job as the offense that they were <laughs> protesting, and they didn't hit anyone. Uh, so oh, if we're looking man. for a silver lining, some roses out of the uh, ooh. ooh. Um, you know, it's that they didn't hit anybody. No, look, it, I think, you know, last year, Luke Voigt set the world on fire with his power. He's been a non-factor this year. They brought in Jay Bruce to babysit first base. He retired already. Yeah. Uh, Now they're looking at Mike Ford, who somehow got away with having a luscious soup strainer. (laughs) Um, I mean, holy Mike Pagliarulo, Batman. I didn't know that they allowed mustaches and the pinstripes, but here we are. <laughs> Apparently they're throwing everything out to try and break this thing up. But, no, I mean, it, but, it, you know, and, you know, we've got another team that we're going to put between the crosshairs in a second. But I think that the problem that the Yankees have is, with the exception of LeMahieu, they have a very um, vanilla lineup. And I and what I mean by that is, it, there isn't a lot of difference between the approaches of the guys that they're rolling out there. And I think you know you look at a, a Gio Urshela who's hitting two seventy three. He's a guy that puts the bat on the ball. Uh, Aaron Hicks, I don't think anyone has him batting cleanup because he's going to hit fifty jacks. I think it's because you're looking for a guy who makes contact, and they're not. Uh, you know, Glaber Torres is swinging for the fences like it's 2019 in Baltimore all over again, and it's not happening for him. Judge is struggling to find the long ball. Giancarlo Stanton can't, you know, he couldn't hit water falling off a boat right now. And when every guy in your lineup from one to nine, again, with the exception, I would say, of LeMahieu and maybe Ursula, but when most of the guys in your lineup are trying to hit a five-run homer, whether or not there's a single person on base, whether you're winning or losing, it becomes problematic and you open up the problem that you're not getting quality at bats, you're not pushing the opposing pitching deep into counts, and that's how you end up with like a two-and-a-half-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio as a team. And that's how you end up with 54 runs scored. You're not manufacturing anything. And it feels like, uh, for the Yankees, and again, the next team that we're going to blow up, that... You know, it feels like Earl Weaver's sitting on the bench, and you're looking for a bloop and a blast all day. Well, let me ask you something. You're so dependent on the long ball that if it's not there, you're absolutely futile. And there's got to be more to it than 
the one home run. The Yankees have 17 home runs in 16 games. There's got to be more to it than that. And they're not even they're not even getting four runs a game on the board right now, and they need to find a way to manufacture offense because you cannot rely on the long ball, especially if you play for a team in a cold market in April. You're right. The, we're not going to finish the year and have half of the New York Yankees line up under the Mendoza line. But if you rely too heavily on the long ball, it catches up with you. Yes. Uh, look, I'm just going to say that I'm gonna, I got two things I want to get into. Number one, I think the Yankees are going to be okay. Their record over the last, you know, 10 seasons here, as far as where they finish at the end of the year, first, second, you know what I'm saying, and, and third, I mean, they're always a top, they're always a top division finisher, all right? So they'll figure they'll figure out a way. So my other question is, is and, you know, I know you, uh, you know, you coach Little League, you you know, you've you played yourself, Tab, over the years, and, you know, if you look over here, this is a professional baseball team uh this guy's the guys up and down this lineup this isn't you know they're not rookies anymore most of these guys have all played the last few years they've seen some of the best pitching uh in the american league uh being thrown at them here where where do you where does a team like this of, of monsters of professionals and and where do you look to the, the 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 bench bosses or primarily the the hitting coaches on this team so look as a fan i'm confident these guys are going to work this out but in the modern-day baseball game with this kind of talent and everything that we've talked about, how do they fix this? Or is it really ultimately up to the, each individual guy to get his act together? Well, th- that's great questions. And that's what I think is interesting about these, specifically these Yankees. The last time the Yankees started a season this cold was 97. And that team obviously came back and got into the playoffs. Um, but the difference between the 97 Yankees and this year's Yankees is two significant differences. One, I don't need to tell you what the Yankees did in 96. They, so if you get off to a slow start, you had a short off season, you were celebrating a championship, you know, a little bit of a hangover you can play through. Great. Joe Torre was on the bench then. And I don't think anybody had issues with how Joe Torre handled his business. Um, and you had a big chunk of that lineup that was coming back from a championship. You fast forward to 2021, and respectfully, there isn't a single guy in this lineup who's really accomplished anything when it comes to hardware. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got some, you know, Stan's got an MVP at home, and you know, you might have some silver sluggers and individual awards and things like that, but this team has not been to a World Series that they've won. They're not coming off of a World Series win. Well, was it, they, they, they did play against cheaters that one year, so who knows? They, they, they did. They did. <laughs> so, but, but but they didn't win. And Correct. You know, let's just keep it at 100 here. If you're the New York Yankees, it's not George that owns the team anymore, but it's still the Steinbrenner name on the desk. Mm-hmm. If it's not ending with a banner and hardware get being handed out and you know a million dollar order from Jostens, it didn't it didn't happen. Yep. And so whether or not you know they lost to cheaters, you know the Astros, I think they, they certainly they could beef there. And but 
this is a team that these guys do not have a World Series championship, and Aaron Boone has not won a World Series championship as a manager. And there have been people that have poked holes in what he has done since he got there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there are two people that fans and media will rightfully have the magnifying glass on. One is the players, because at the end of the day, the manager puts up the lineup, and at some point, these guys have to go out. You're right. They're professionals. they got to execute. Do your damn job. And if, if you got to make adjustments, make adjustments. That's what you're getting paid millions of dollars to do. And you, these guys have a track record that, again, I think everyone expects. Certainly, Vegas still has them as the batting favorite in the American League. Everyone expects them at some point to wake up and, in this case, progress to the mean. Not regress, but progress to the mean and get their act together. But, you know... Aaron Boone can only do so much with the lineup that he's given, but I think that there are some times that you'd like to see a little bit more from what Aaron Boone's doing. If you've only got nine guys that you can put in the lineup on a daily basis, mix it up. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, throw the stuff in a blender and see what happens. You know, if you got to sit Glaber Torres two games in a row and find somebody else who can play shortstop, if you got to throw Talkman out there because, you know, he might give you a better at bet. Of course, he's hitting 111, but he's only got nine at bet so far, but... You know, you got Odor, uh, you've you've got Talkman, you've got some guys that might be able to do something different. Mix it up, and you know, I think one of the guys that they thought would inject some energy into this lineup was Clint Frazier, and he's he's been a massive disappointment so far. So, the reality is this: people are going to stare at the players and expect them to do their damn jobs, and people are going to look at Aaron Boone and have problems with his lineup. He can only put the guys that he has in the lineup. And the other reality here is for the Yankees: they are the Yankees at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. If these guys don't fix it. Brian Cashman will fix it. Yeah. And some of these guys' job security and the pinstripes won't be there. And they'll go out and they'll fix this team externally if the guys that are there don't do it. So that's just the reality for the Yankees is uh, they are playing for the now. They've got, you know, an eye on 21, but obviously with the contracts they've got for LeMayhew, uh, you know, multi-year deals, and they're hoping that Frazier figures his junk out at some point, but you know, they've got pitchers signed for multiple years. They didn't sign Garrett Cole for one year and, and think, you know, push all their chips in. But they're the Yankees. And if these guys don't turn it around, you'll see guys like Torres and Hicks uh, and even probably Gary Sanchez, who has not been, you know, the, the whipping boy excuse for everything that he has been in the past. Um, they'll fix it externally. And that's just kind of how it is. You know, when, when Brian Cashman says the evil empire is back, they're not playing like the evil empire. No. I mean, they're playing like the death star at the end of a couple movies. So, <laughs> um, too many movies know, they will, they will fix it one way or the other. And I think that they probably got about five or six weeks until Cashman starts having conversations with guys about their, their position in the organization and whether or not they're in the long-term plans of the Yankees, because I don't think he's going to wait for the deadline Especially with, you know, Toronto's going to get it right at some point. Toronto's been a a disappointment so far. It doesn't look like the Red Sox are going to go away either. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Tampa's obviously always, you know, even though you look at that team and you scratch your head how, uh, they're always there. So you can't let it get to, you can't win a division in April, but you can lose it. And I think where you're at right now is the Yankees need to right ship or it's going to become Brian Cashman's job to fix it. And that'll either be, 
making changes with Boone or making changes with the players. But whoever's the manager, whether if, if Boone is the guy that they make the scapegoat for this, they're going to have to replace him with somebody that's going to be able to, again, get roses out of poo-poo because the lineup isn't doing anything right now. And it, you can't blame Aaron Boone for the players not doing their jobs. You heard it right there, folks. Roses out of poo-poo from Mr. Bamford. That's how we keep it clean here on Live yes. Drive Radio. <laughs> All right, it's, let's – uh, Let's leave the evil empire here, and um, and by the way, uh, Star Wars, uh, the Empire, some terrible security with all that security on those Death Stars, a complete failure there. Um, so let's move well, on. Yan- yeah, I mean the Yankees are hitting about as well as stormtroopers with exactly. their blasters right now. <laughs> Bang on there, Mister Bamford. I'm glad you get it. All right, let's go back to Chicago. Um, the Cubs here. Let's talk a little bit about Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, um, the offense. And uh, take it away, Tab, as far as your take here on, 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 on the Cubs' uh, 2021 season so far. I mean, really, it's the same story as the Yankees. You've got guys that you've built around that you expect to be better that are not. Uh, you know, coming into Wednesday, Javier Baez, who's in a and we talk, – we've talked about this during the mm-hmm. year so far. Javier Baez, uh, premium position, superstar player. He's hitting 200. He has 31 strikeouts and 60 at-bats. That's a problem. Now, he's still exceptional defensively. Uh, He's running a little bit more this year. He's got five stolen bases, which is good to see. He's run into four, so he's got some home runs to show for it. You know, the 12 RBI in 16 games is, is decent. But when you frame that with the fact that he's striking out more than 50% of his at-bats, it's no bueno. Uh, they bring in Jock Peterson. I think the Yanks and Couch. the Cubs can make a trade here. <laughs> yeah, but how? You know, who's going to fix what? Fix anything, but <laughs> you know, if if people are hitting closer to their blood pressure than their body weight, it's a problem. <laughs> uh, you know, David Bodie was their starting second baseman to start the year. He's hitting one seventy one, uh, and Nico Horner sitting there who ripped the cover off the ball in spring training just waiting for a shot, and at some point they're going to have to figure that out. Chris Bryant in a walk year. He's actually having a really good season so far. The 264 average isn't ideal, but <clears throat> 355 on base, that's about where you'd want it to be, 977 OPS. He's having a really good year. He's got five homers, 10 RBI. He's doing what you want Chris Bryant to do, but nobody's coming with him. Anthony Rizzo's got three jacks. He's only got four runs batted in in 16 games. Mm-hmm. For a guy that's a middle of the lineup leader, that's not great. You know, again, 811 OPS, not terrible. 338 on base, okay. But again, you know, Wilson Contreras has been their MVP so far. And it's, for me, it's really not even close. You know, and he's only got a 255 batting average, but 964 OPS from a catcher is, is t- tremendous. But they're just, you know, Ian Happ's your leadoff hitter. He's batting 160. Uh, and I know that batting average isn't the stat that everybody likes to point to, and on-base percentage is what you care about. Haps on base is 323. So obviously he's getting the walks. He's got 11 free passes already this year. But, you know, I think the problem, and I've said this to my son's baseball team, the, the problem that the Cubs have, and I think that the Yankees have this too, is – when you've been around a team long enough and you've been with these guys in the room long enough and you know what each other are capable of, there's a complacency that sets in. 
and there's an expectation that the runs are going to come from somewhere. And it's a nuance, but it's a very important nuance. If there isn't individual ownership of driving the guy in from second base, it won't happen. If you think, if you're Chris Bryant and you're betting in front of Anthony Rizzo and you think, well, if I don't get him in, Rizzo will get it done. And you give away an at-bat or you don't swing at the right pitch and you don't execute. And that guy is still in second base. And then Rizzo doesn't do it because he's thinking that Baez, who's batting after him, will get it done. Or Jock Peterson, who's coming off a World Series win uh, with the Dodgers, will get it done. The problem that you run into is when you don't have individual ownership of driving in the run and you think that your lineup is good enough for the next guy to do it, you fall into the problem that the run never gets in. And you end up scoring two or three runs a game instead of seven or eight. And no matter the level of baseball, we've talked about my son on an 11U travel team. The goal when you have a guy on second base in less than two outs should not be that he gets in somehow. The goal for each batter should be to replace him on second base. Mm -hmm. That's how you build a championship. That's what the Dodgers do. That's what the Padres are doing the Cardinals have done for generations. That's what sustained winning looks like. That's what the Yankees did the whole time Derek Jeter was wearing pinstripes. If there's a guy on second base, the goal of the person in the batter's box should be to replace him on second base. And I think that the Cubs and Yankees have the problem of comfort level, that the guy behind them in the batting order is just as capable of driving that person in. So if I don't do it, they'll do it. And they aren't doing it either. Mm -hmm. And that's where you end up with ugly batting averages, low hit totals, and not enough runs scored. And you could have the best pitching in the world. And look, the Cubs and Yankees have their issues on the mound right now. The Cubs' middle relief has not been great. Craig Kimbrell has been freaking fantastic. He's back to the Hall of Fame level dominant closer that he was couple years ago but you know if you don't have the the Dodgers rotation and the Dodgers bullpen you can't score three and think that you're good and if you don't take personal responsibility for run production it doesn't happen and so I think for the Chicago Cubs and the New York Yankees the issue that they need to have is a moment where each one of the guys that's penciled into a lineup sees his name on the scorecard in the clubhouse and walks over to a mirror and looks himself in the eye and says, I got to get it done today. Don't rely on Javier Baez or Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant batting after you to drive the run and do it yourself. Don't wait for Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge or Gary Sanchez to run into one to fix the problem. Do it yourself. And I think the Yankees lost the, they, they, they had that guy. They had Didi Gregorius, and I think he was he was that kind of guy, and and the yeah. personality, and he was a fan favorite here. You know, I think he was. I think he's a huge loss for not yeah. only this team, the organization, and the city. Um, yeah, you you you, you need, and again, it, it's a nuance, but taking ownership of that, and then the idea that small ball isn't evil. Mm -hmm. bunting a guy in a scoring position isn't the worst thing in the world. If you're only scoring four, you know, I think it was last night, Jock Peterson, who, God bless him, you know, 
just can't run into anything right now. And he is just visibly frustrated. And to David Ross's credit, he's, he's sticking Jock in the lineup every day no matter what, letting him work himself out of it. Um, after a, an incredible, you know, I mean, he was, I think he hit 380 in spring training and led all of Arizona in home runs. Like he was, the fact that he's gone from such a tremendous spring training to being such a tire fire is just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, Jock tried to lay one down the third baseline, went foul, but you give him, you know, style points for at least trying. Because as long as they're going to shift and give that to you, get on base no matter how the hell you got to get on base, and then make it happen. I think what the, what led to Javier Baez being such a fan favorite and such a superstar is the fact that he'd get on base and then he would make life hell for the opposing pitcher. Mm-hmm. A routine single that an, a corner outfielder took his time getting to, assuming that it was a one base hit, turned into a double because he was busting his ass out of the box. And again, like one of the things that I point to with Baez that I'm not, you know, walking away from this right now is he's got five stolen bases. He's got 12 hits and he's stolen base five times. So he is, you know, when he gets on, he's doing his best to manufacture runs and move himself in his scoring position. Um, but, you know, there was an article on ESPN the other day uh, by Jesse Rogers, and he wrote about the fact that the Chicago Cubs are in the middle of an epidemic when it comes to hitting just a fastball. Mm -hmm. They're hitting under 200 against fastballs this year. And this is a team that has guys up and down that should be blowtorching fastballs. But when, you know, a simple four seamer is, is, is breaking you, you know, I think it's something that is becomes a mental problem for the entire team. And I don't know if they need to, ha- you know, have somebody come and burn sage in the clubhouse or, you know, you got to somebody drank Jobu's rum or what. But, you know, this is a team that should be obliterating fastballs and they're not. And that's a big problem for the Chicago Cubs right now. They'll fi- I, 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 again, similar to the Yankees, I think that the Cubs will figure it out. But, you know, the last couple years they have – struggled to consistently put together the offense that they had. And you talk about Didi and what he meant to the Yankees. The guy that was that guy for the Cubs when they won the World Series in 2016 was Ben Zobrist, Mm -hmm. who single, double, you know, getting on base. And Dexter Fowler, too. They haven't replaced Dexter Fowler as a leadoff man since he left. And get you have to have somebody get on base and put pressure on the pitcher and you know going back to what we talked about with Rodon if you're at 95 pitches through 8 innings you're not in high stress situations you can let your starter go further and the nuance of baseball getting guys on base running the bases putting pressure on people is so lost in this long ball driven era that you know pitchers are getting away with it and I think both the Cubs and the Yankees would benefit from a Ben Zobris-type guy. I think LeMahieu does that a lot for the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Cubs don't have that guy right now. Ian Happ gets on base, but he's not a base stealer. Your leadoff guy has zero stolen bases. If you're, if you're a station-to-station, almost wholly reliant on the hit moving you around the base paths, it becomes hard. A single moving a guy first to third is different than a single moving a guy second to home. 
And the Cubs have had a lot of first to third instead of second to home. And I think the Yankees have too. And so figuring out a way to create a little bit more drama on the base paths would benefit both of those clubs, but they don't have guys that do it. I mean, you're not, you're not seeing a guy like Jason. I mean, right now the guy who is second behind Baez on the Cubs and stolen bases is Anthony Rizzo, a lumbering first baseman. <laughs> so I think the stolen base is something that would benefit both of these teams. You got to figure out how to get yourself on base and then move yourself around the bases because the bats are struggling. And, uh, and I think that the Cubs have got guys that will figure that out. Uh, I think the Yankees are more dependent on the long ball than the Cubs are. Uh, Hap, Contreras, Baez, uh, Jason Hayward, they run the bases pretty well. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, two stone bases, great. He's not a guy that's going to lead the team in stone bases. Chris Bryant is one of the best base runners in baseball still. But you have to create runs somehow. And both the Cubs and the Yankees have found themselves in a situation where they are far too reliant on a home run creating a crooked number and not the prolonged seven-batter, 50-pitch rallies that made those teams champions in the past. Yeah, and it might be something to see here in the next month or two. And, and I think, you know, just speaking on the, on the Yankees' side, They've had this makeup here the last couple of years, um, and I know off the top of my head, I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of key guys, key personalities uh, on the Yankees that, that that you need in there to kind of just kind of mix things up as we're talking. But you may see the Yankees, you know, catch maybe forced to kind of trade some of these parts and get different parts in, and and, and other teams will have to look at their side in terms of what they need, um, and that this team. You know, as we talk about in the Evil Empire, but if they do kind of nosedive, continue to nosedive. And I know we both talking here about the Cubs and the Yankees, and they'll figure this out. But if they don't, there's going to have to be some tinkering because I think you can look at this type of lineup, you can look at Boone and the Yankees, and you know what the end result is. And that goes back to why I, at the beginning of the year, we talked about our predictions. That's why I feel the Blue Jays. I don't think the Yankees are going to run away with this with this lineup throughout the regular season. I think they'll be there at the end if they can figure it out. But they may have to change the makeup, not only of this lineup, but the direction of this franchise going forward to compete with the, with the level of pitching, not only in the, um, you know, in the league, but obviously if you're going to get out of the league, you know, playing the, 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 the teams like, you know, what if, you, what if you match up against the Dodgers? If the Dodgers play the Yankees right now in the World Series, they're going to get smoked. Right. Well, and look at what the look at what the Dodgers have. Mookie Betts is not a home run reliant no. guy. Justin Turner, no. high batting average, high on base percentage guy. Yep. And you know, I think that the, the the most striking difference between the Yankees and Cubs is the Yankees looked at this being kind of the first year of them really pushing their chips in for World Series run. This is the end game for the Cubs. Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez are all in walk years. And so if the Cubs don't write the ship soon and look they don't have the worst record in the national league like the yankees have the worst record in the american league so they're tied for less their division but they're a couple games under 500 it's not like oh my god we're 10 games under 500 and, and they beat the boston, amazing yesterday and, and, and boston's like running away with things um but for the cubs if this ship does not get righted soon they have more pressing decisions to make than the yankees yeah. They, the three centerpieces of the franchise over the last five years, Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo, are in the final years of their contract. So if you're talking about 
restructuring an organization, the Cubs are staring at a deadline right now. They've got real hard decisions to make in Chicago because the contract clock is running and it's 1130. So two teams that I think have the talent to change things can change things and need to change things. And both teams, I think if they don't will become very interesting. I think the Cubs more sellers, the Yankees more buyers as you get towards the trade deadline, because the Cubs have guys that they need to make a decision on the future with. And the Yankees are, I think they're, they always have been since George Steinbrenner bought the team. They're more of a tinker than a rebuild. And the Cubs are looking full on rebuild. If this year goes to goes to crap, the Cubs are gonna have to make some really hard decisions with a lot of people's jerseys and closets around the Chicagoland area. And it's not gonna be enjoyable. Um, you know, you could argue that, you know, these three guys are probably the, would be the three most popular departures, uh, probably since I would say Mark Grace left, and that was really the tail end of his career. After the 2000 season, he went to Arizona and won a World Series with the Diamondbacks. Uh, and then you go back to Greg Maddox in the early 90s. And, you know, it's it, that's where it gets really hard for a front office is when these, these are the guys that are the faces on billboards, the TV commercials. You know, these have been the building blocks, and their careers aren't over yet. But if you've got to change the dynamic, and they could all walk at the end of the year, do you want to keep them? And if you want to keep them, how much do you want to spend? And if you want to change the culture, are these guys that you have to leverage to totally overhaul the culture? Uh, and so that's, that's I think, the, the most drastic difference between Cubs and Yankees is the Yankees will buy because they always buy. Mm -hmm. The Cubs could become sellers if they don't turn things around quickly. And again, the Cubs, awkwardly, even though they have the same offensive issues that the Yankees do, are hanging around because the, the Cardinals pitching staff has the highest ERA in baseball. The Brewers offense isn't blowtorching anybody. Their pitching is getting them through games. Uh, so that division, I think, is still wide open uh, for the Cubs. And that might actually make for a more painful decision-making process because they might not be out of it all year, but if things don't change, you know that they're not going to win it all. Uh, frankly, I don't think the Cubs or Yankees have a team that can topple the Dodgers in a series if either one of them gets there. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to watch both of those teams as their superstars try and figure their crap out and what the front office does if and when it gets to be time to make some hard hard decisions. Absolutely. A lot of work uh, early in the season here for the Yanks and the Cubs from the field to behind the bench to up in the front offices. All right, Tab, let's, um, why don't you take us out here with uh, your fantasy baseball ad of the week. Cue the Arrested Development. We're going with Mr. Wendell. Who? Uh, J Joey <laughs> Wendell, uh, utility infielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's eligible second, third, and short. He's hitting 340 right now. He's a guy that would look great on either one of the teams we spent the last 45 Absolutely. minutes blowtorching. 340 batting average, three homers, 13 runs scored, 11 RBI, 960 OPS. Again, he's got some position versatility. He's only owned in 60% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. So go dust off your Arrested Development CDs and go grab Mr. Wendell if you can because he's making things happen in Tampa. And anything you guys win, don't forget, any of these picks that Tab helps you out with, 
We'll be giving our pay- PayPal addresses <laughs> out at the end of the month. <laughs> we, we accept cash, Bitcoin, and unique pieces of artwork. Or rare, rare custom Cuban cigars, anything like that. Indeed. We'll Indeed. take it. Some nice whiskey, some scotch, you know, in Tabarizzi. But anyway, good stuff there. Joey Wendell, Fantasy Ad of the Week right here at Line Drive Radio. Uh, as always, we want to thank all you guys for subscribing and listening as me and Tab uh, start building this little uh, podcast we got going here uh, once a week. Uh, everybody have a great super weekend. We'll be back here next Wednesday. Uh, for yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert. Uh, Mr. Banford, please say good day to the folks. Well, if you are in one of those cities that it's snowing and or raining, uh, stay inside and probably find an out-of-market game to watch uh, <laughs> because we've had so many games canceled by rain and or snow uh, in recent days. Uh, find some baseball to watch. If you're in a market that it's sunny, grab a glove, grab a ball, go outside and toss a little. Or go watch Tanaka over in the Japan League. All right? There you go. Good stuff over there. <laughs> you get, get some caffeine at 2 a.m. and turn on the KBO. There you go. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening. We uh, appreciate it. As always, stay safe and healthy out there. So on behalf of Tab and myself, Paul, Line Drive Radio's out. Play ball! BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.